0: Hi, guys, this is Kumar Shyatsin from FIGO. and the co founder and CEO of FIGO.ai. We are an open finance startup.
1: The big tech companies own the platforms that run the digital rails of the economy. In India, the government is building neutral frameworks which tech companies can plug into and run the rails of the digital economy. The best known example of this so far has been the UPI. But the fintech industry is even more excited about the account aggregator framework. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt is talking with Kumar Srivatsan, the founder of the fintech startup Fago. Fago is building products on the account aggregator framework. And this episode is a masterclass on what the framework is and how it can fundamentally change our relationship with finance. As you listen to this conversation, keep in mind that this was recorded a few months ago. And if you like such insightful conversations with disruptive startup founders, then do subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app.
0: You like you are a native of Chennai. You grew up here. Yeah, i mean, born and bred here. It's been almost three decades based out of Chennai. I did my schooling here. I did my chartered accountant course here. company secretary course based out of Chennai. Post qualifying, I was working with Anston Young, Royal Bank of Scotland. Then started my own advisory practice focused on startups called QED which currently on it's no longer actively part of it.
2: So that QED was like a CA firm with a focus on startups?
0: Or? Yeah, it was essentially a financial advisory firm. So what made you move on? During 14-15, you had Prosper, you had Lending Club, all of these guys building new age capabilities digital lending capabilities. And that was pretty intriguing. Huh? And that was when we realized, why don't we build something? Why don't we try to do something like that for India? Because there are a lot of, open spaces and a lot of white spaces, which were not uh, catered to. And thus, after credit was won, um, we were focused on certain section of the white-collar audience. I started that along with my brother, Srikantham, who's, uh, who's an ISB grad. He was earlier at the head of special projects at NetMets, then moved to KPMG, then helped after the credit for early, early days. And he was part of the founding team and the co-founder as well. So the idea was, while if you look at retail lending institutions, Most of the retail lending institutions used to profile employees based on the employer to which they belong to. And that was a comfort factor as a proxy for salaries, repayments, etc. And that eventually became a list which was which is pretty narrow and you've had all of these entities categorized into AMEC, government, etc. International and that excluded a lot of entities which are building capabilities, which are growing over time. And consequently, employees belonging to those uncategorized employers were denied unsecured credit. While secured was never a problem, hypothecated loans were never a problem. So we said, why don't we tie up, do a two-pronged strategy? Why don't we tie up with them, provided as a financial wellness offering, why don't we tie up also with balance sheet players. We also got our NBFC license later on, and why don't we build our own balance sheet and also work with other balance sheet players like DMI, for DMI, etc. And we tried to build a co lending capability, built our own risk models. We did a B2C approach and also had a B2C approach where we tied up with employers, as I told you. It took a lot of iterations to find the right sweet spot because if you look at the retail lending basket, no, there are so many competitors across every ROA bucket. You have the typical PSBs from uh, in the initial lowest cost ROI. You have even uh, top-notch private sector banks. Then you have some NBFCs and it goes up to fullerton You have payday lenders, uh, India Bulls, all of these guys are till high, higher with ROIs. So there were certain suites purchased which were not catered. That is the size of the Indian market. So you could build. Car, out a pie and build capabilities. That's what we tried building. And that was the initial thesis. What was the the pie that you were targeting, your sweet spot? So most of the retail lending institutions, they provided unsecured loans to employees belonging to only categorized employers, which they profiled in the basis of their risk The pie that was not catered to all, the, the retail lending institutions the entities that were profiled found only 8% of the total MSMEs, smash employer bids uh, by which I don't mean mom and pop stores, but typical NTPs that are registered already have a banking relationship. So 92% of the entities which had an existing banking relationship by way of a current account or cross account or did not, were not profiled by their own banking partnerships, by their own banking partners, and thus their employees were not provided provided unsecured loans. And that became a vicious cycle because until and unless you move to an entity which was proven, say, a TCS or a cognizant, you wouldn't get an unsecured loan. And you always had to go around with secured loans, secured loans, hypothecated loans. And now the market has definitely worked. But when we started six years back, that was the case. And we tried to double down on, a, on that segment and we tried building capabilities over time.
2: There were a lot of fintechs starting at around that time, targeting, I think, PaySense, Zest Money, India all of these were looking at
0: the same market only. But what each one had like a different model. What was your model? So, our model was an early version of the earned wage access that you currently see, Refine doing it. You have quite a few players doing the early wage access program right now. Right? So, we tried, other than a B2C B2B2C approach, we tried working with employers. So, we tried working with employees which had minimal safety account, and there were a lot of employees that were working. With. And we bundled credit as an offering along with financial education, along with savings and wealth. That was the major differentiation. While zest was focused on a combination of VNPL and checkout, PaySense was focused on relatively larger ticket size, relatively medium-term personal loans. We had a different approach to the market. It was credit first, but it was not necessarily completely sourced directly from the market. We did a B2C approach and that helped us with combination of relationship collections and a much more stable. Portfolio compared to other competitors Got it, got it. Okay. And so why aren't you still running that business? For every journey, there's all there's always a point in time when where you don't start with that intention, but I read somewhere Visa saying the moment you start a venture, you're working towards a full stop. So how long do you drag it? How long do you create value? Because what goes up has to come down essentially. That is a journey. How do you put in process? For us, it was never internal. It was essentially a macro event. They had COVID put up, had different plans and put faith to it. And being a lending startup, we 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 didn't we raised only minimal capital. We actually hit the market just before COVID. You had the series of black swan events. You had ILFS, you had DHFL, you had ICICS, was, the sentiment was pretty bad. And we were about to be acquired by a few consumer internet companies. We had a deal on the table. April 17th last year, they pulled out citing COVID. I don't blame them for it. That was the first major event. And uh, we took a call whether we wanted to start something or join, because we had offers from the same acquirers to say, why don't you lead credit for us? We had a uh-huh. large consumer internet company that said, Mark, can you lead credit for India and Africa? So this consumer internet, by this you mean e-commerce or an aggregator or whatever? Travel aggregation platform. Then we also had the largest apps that focus on blocking spam calls that wanted to build a credit journey. And uh, we met the uh, that We came down. Then that worked out into a activator slash an employment offer. But I still felt there were problems that were never solved because we had operational experience for four years. So many times reinventing the wheel, we realized what was a huge pain point that was not solved yet. And that gave us an inside view as to how to build things. You, you make so many errors during a first venture. When you're building the second one, those seem like so amateurish. And you really, you really think, how did you even try to do something? How did you take a decision? And I guess, I mean, it, it's that learning culture that people sort of value. And now I realize why second-time founders are valued. Because they know what problem. You've already covered uh, a large portion of the journey. You're just going to build on a foundation where you know which mistakes weren't the avoid And uh, it's that tremendous learning. I don't think, had I been in my employment, same journey, or had I even done my MBA, that I couldn't have. We had the need of because the amount of learning, constant learning. In fact, the level of learning that we did was, it was the ICO era in 2017, 18. We said, see, lending is relevant in web 2. Lending can also be relevant in web 3. Why don't we do, you see if we can try to do something. You had platforms which used to take uh, digital assets, have a fixed prefixed LTV ratio based on volatility and provided liquidity to borrowers. He said, why can't we do it as a centralized? There's no point doing decentralized because pairing tokens for and creating liquidity pools would be large. So why can't we do it centrally? It still makes sense. And we wrote our own white papers. That was at the time of starting somewhere in between when we were like product market fit was there, but you don't know whether you would scale or not scale. That's why. And that was primarily because we were building a lending platform from scratch. you are not hardcore lenders ourselves. So you always move sideways. You see what works for you, what does not work for you. Now you realize you take a problem, single problem, scale it, you focus, the IP that gets built to super valuable. Those are learnings that we realize over time. So, so
2: like one of the mistakes you made at the time of OptaCredit was that focus was not laser sharp. You were possibly experimenting with multiple ideas.
0: Yeah, experimenting a lot. And that, I wouldn't say that was the problem during our scaling phase. That was a lot of options we kept on evaluating until we need, okay, we took a call, okay, let's do this B2C, B2B2C and B2C model. Until that time, it was a whole host of experimentation. So what were those scaling up mistakes that? For example, early salary does exactly the same thing what you do. There are a lot of lot of players who moved on to the B2B2C model and working with employers. But what I realized was in lending, there are few models that are 100 percent digital and a lot of these models are there's a physical element to it. Collections is the goal. And end of the day, if you look at how the market was, then people were valued based on your yeah, disbursement run rate. It, it looks it stupid right now. But at <laughs> that point in time, if you were able to hit a 20, 30 crores run rate per month, you would be eligible for series S. I think that is the case today also, right? Lengthy hacking people have woken up. For other pieces of the fintech, ecosystem what you say might be right but for lending i think people have opened up essentially it's a book play see your valuation for a lending startup has to be linked to book if you are going to try making it linked to disbursement, i think markets will always find out they're in for a disappointment because lending is and then if you look at someone who's going to give you value on disbursements now your nps will always be straight because the, your denominator is always going to get averaged out. Can you break that down?
2: NPS will be skewed because
0: denominator is averaged out. Just explain that line. You've been dispersing 4 crores a month and suddenly the next month you're dispersing 10, 11, 12. scaling pretty fast. Ideally, the way we did was also antithesis to the funding market. Then we built a portfolio, curated repayments behavior, identified what cohorts worked, what cohorts did not work. That means in an average, say an 18-month loan period, You'll have to wait at six, seven months to see which are early quick mortalities, which are early signals of stress in your portfolio. And when you go fast, ramp up. What happens, all of these numbers get blended in the overall 12, 13. Every month you add 13. There's always a pre mi that gets collected. The moment you collect a pre-EMI, at least for 20, 30 days, you think he's good. And the next EMI is 30 days away. So in a medium that I've known, that is a problem. And after a point in time, you suddenly build a 300-400 crore book and your NPAs start showing up. And then you cannot put your collections policy. Then you cannot identify what stress has happened. So by, by NPA, you mean non-performing assets, like bad debts. Yeah, non-performing asset. So could be, could be your, your bucket one, not necessarily a 90-day. For collections, anything that is uh, about the 30th day is bad. Uh, accounting-wise, only a 90-day is bad. But for business, anything about 30th day, if your have and a 30-day cycle is bad. We realized the amount of respect that you have to give to incumbent financial institutions, your Bajaj fin your moot-outs your, uh, of the world. The level of collection, uh, finesse and capability in the relationship they have is tremendous. But what they lack was something that now they're trying to build. And the combination of the tech flavor to finance is all... That balance will always reside in favor of collections in a lending startup. That was a hard learning that we realized. We realized pretty early on, but... I think it's almost also a little wrong to be too ahead of the market. What we did was we built a small portfolio, but curated it. But everyone is asking for disbursements. By the time we went to disbursements, we had a series of black events. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I think uh, even now there are multiple lending models. Even if you look at a payday model or a BNPL model or a checkout financing model. I think essentially the idea is to say it just varies your universal testing ratio. How many users are you going to give bet on and see how many are going to convert into good? that ratio changes. For BNPL, the ratio might be larger. You might not spend that money, that much money on file costs. You might not spend money on, uh, say, a fraud analytics tool because it's a business of quality versus quantity. Average ticket size of 5,000, yeah, the money that you're going to be spending on pulling a bureau, pulling other costs will be less. So typically what people try to do is give a smaller loan. Don't do all of these checks. Just check for is. Yes. Repayment behavior, then try to up the loan. So, what now? Now, the scenario is BNBL. You can't make, you typically make money only in the second loan or third loan. It works if you have a funnel to upsize the loan. If you have, so for example, you mentioned patients, patients and lazy pay work wonderfully well. La- lazy base, BNBL, they look all of the guys who are. Who repay on time. And if they want, they can upsell the customer to pay a so medium sized loan. So they become a quality acquisition engine, but standalone BNPL, you'll have to see how your economics works. So these are hard learnings that we realized for which sort of uh, retail ending product, what works, what doesn't work. And I think the journey has been super fulfilling, super enriching. Though sadly, it came to an end, the previous startup, but the learnings were immense. So,
2: if I had to recap some of those, so one learning you had
0: was if you focus on
2: portfolio quality, do you cut down your non-performing assets, then you will have to go slow on dispersal. And going slow on dispersal means that investor interest will not be there because they will see this
0: as a slow growth startup. So, see, typically people say don't build businesses for investors. I agree. I didn't build my previous business in business for investors, nor this business for. It's for for my clients to make money and if we need money, if investors are interested, we make a deal. But what happens in certain scenarios of flux and what happens in certain scenarios of market heating up is people take a bid and those guys who, the ventures who raise money, they move at a certain pace and you get left out. So you try to say, okay, I focus on quality and all of this would have worked if there were no macroeconomic keywords. So it was this, it was a perfect storm of Doing slow, doing your hard work, we built our own LMS completely in-house, we built our own underwriting in-house, loan management system. Yes, the origination management collections, the underwriting, the scorecards. But then what we realized was, must be, we ideally could have started with something that wasn't in-house, made those learnings, then built it externally. I think it's the start to perfect everything before we go to the market. Now it's completely changed how... I think when I run a product, but just go to the market, have something that is friendable, see what the feedback is, keep admitting properly.
2: Now you have that every approach, build a minimum viable product and then
0: keep improving it. Yes, exactly. You're like, see what sticks, what doesn't work, we'll know, then we'll keep fine tuning. You'll need real-time market feedback because all your assumptions and assessments may be completely wrong. And you're as good as an astrologer if you don't have market feedback. And then it's up to your current followers to say you're right or wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 got it did you incur a loss at the end of it had you raised any funds on uh, Opta credit like ho- financially how were you running it was it operationally breaking even
0: Today, the friends and family round we need one more round and there was a capital loss because uh, there were certain acquisition offers which had we had the team agreed to earlier we would have been acquired our capital would have returned to its IRR all of us would have been compensated but there were certain timeline issues and by the time we went to market there was those black swan events which kicked in and then mm-hmm. eventually it became an acqui-hire slash employment offer and there i understand where the potential acquirers came from and why they pulled out because four was complete unknown and they either they had to conjure capital safeguard their portfolio but yeah there was a personal loss as well financially but if you were to ask me i would have had those learnings without incurring those loss, that would have been the ideal scenario. But the, the better scenario is we have all of those learnings. Right now, If people tell me this is how I'm going to make money by lending and people simply assume lending is a feature. I think either they should be doing it with too much capital, which I think is still a fair ask, they can throw around, see what sticks, then immediately build those learnings. Otherwise, lending is not as easy as people say. You can make money definitely, but you'll have to put in those processes, put in those fail-safe scenarios and then only build those capabilities.
2: You're saying that lending is a long-term play. You need to invest a lot in good risk assessment systems for which you need to first generate data which can train your risk assessment systems. And the long-term value doesn't happen in the first loan. You need to start with small loans and then upgrade them to bigger loans. And therefore, it's not something which is just like a plug-and-play and start earning money immediately. It's not that kind of business.
0: Typically, there are two types of lending models. One is your direct-to-market models. You don't have that much interaction with the customer. You don't know that much about them. And you're going to untrate them like any other third party, any other user, and evaluate them for credit worth The second set of users are your capital audience. You've been working them, they've been on your financial, they've been on your, say, a drug marketplace for quite some time. You have their understanding that are close to their financial behavior. And then if you're saying in a wealth management or a financial management app, you have all of the financial footprints. So between an open ecosystem and a closed ecosystem, you always have better learnings in a closed ecosystem. You can ideally do, you can take little more risks if you want to scale faster because you have better learnings about it. So even despite all of that, see, imagine if one of your customers who have been sticky with you for quite some time. Either they default defaulted how do you handle that scenario? So they are your customer. They are defaulted. Then is it going to be a collections issue? You're going to lose a customer forever if you don't collect them. The right way If you don't collect, you're going to lose money. So end of the day, you in a captive ecosystem, lending is, a, is when lending becomes a feature, collections will be at the cost of customer relationship, existing customer relationship. So how do you factor for all of this? in? So when people say, okay, lending is how I'm going to make money. Yes. Fair enough, in India, you can make money and only in fintech and three-four broad ecosystems. How you package it and sell it is what decides how you how you want to stick with customers and scale. But the moment someone says, okay, the, my monetization starts, I've acquired customers, I'm engaging with them, but my monetization strategy is lending. Great, but it isn't as simple as it looks. It's, it's a fine balance between collecting money, asking for repayments, because you can't have too much friction with your existing customers as well. And the moment... A repayment is reported to a bureau. You're going to lose a customer forever. And this does not happen for just one user. It could happen across your portfolio of your customer. So, and even if you don't take it on your book, you're going to partner with another lending institution. end of the day, customers are only going to see you. So lending, yes, it's primarily a money-making machine here in India for fintechs. Everyone is going to enter into lending, there's absolutely no doubts, And which is why most of the embedded finance slash embedded lending players are scaling faster than ever. But it's a question of operations, a question of relationships, a question of underwriting constantly, iterating your scorecards and keeping in touch with the user. And uh, we'll have to give where it is due for incumbent financial institutions, but they've been able to manage it pretty well till now across multiple decades. So I think lending has a feature way grow, but it has its own set of problems that they need to address upfront. So because of the value
2: of data in building your risk models, that is the reason why a company like CRED is like maybe four or five billion dollars valuation because they have that uh, data of credit card payment history of people on their platform, which allows them to make better risk decisions.
0: No, and the, I think the beauty of CRED is they have put in a funnel where they gatekeeping and sending in customers who have a score of 720 or 750 plus above what minimum which automatically ensures that you do not have previous default history. And they are not first time borrowers. The moment you have a credit score footprint means you're being responsible about your credit history. So that is the first part. The second part of the funnel, right? Like you said, they have access to SMS data. They know which where your money has been moving, where your expenses are. So they have financial user persona about you. All of this put together is pretty powerful to say, I have been marketing this guy for the last six months. I this is his credit score. And every time you use a credit coin top of your credit score, a copy of that also goes to credit, right? And they can potentially Partner with someone to provide, it could be interest free. It could be even zero interest, but for very minimal, guests, because even at that size of user base, they have really high quality users on paper with some track record of free payments, and they can potentially start giving lower tickets. And I think they have a huge dispersal to run right now and very acceptable NPA levels, which they've reported. you right. Got it. Okay. So it's not just data, the way they put in the customer acquisition funnel also. Ensures that there is a level of gatekeeping for credit to refuse. So, if you want to say, would it be the same for any other B2C facing app? No, I think Credit has its own strengths and parameters, basis which they can find out better quality got it got it okay
2: tell me how you bounced back so you had your startup shut down due to the lockdown and the pandemic hitting and uh, like multiple black swan events then what was your bounce back journey from there
0: so what we realized was we had the level of learning because we are pretty placid earlier when we met a lot of uh, other fintech founders we were pretty surprised to learn that we we put in a lot of effort and we built a lot of capabilities that people are building only then, they then. and those learnings could be easily transposed to either an existing startup where we would be able to add value immediately or solve those problems ourselves. So we had literally we had multiple offers to either join and build a really good lending books for large consumer tech companies but because the problem statements were so close to us we thought okay why don't we start focusing on it see if we can build something around those and uh, core fundamental idea was the moment your financial data is made available to any entity that wants it in a consent driven format you had a lot of these players open finance players building capabilities focused on wealth they would build verticals only focused on onboarding only focused on wealth only focused on credit and that was the size of the market then we said data has always been a problem Mm -hmm. now how can you provide a plug-and-play tool to sit on users' financial data? What were the legal requirements? What are the complaints? What, how was the infrastructure on the ground? And that put us onto a path to start understanding how the entire Indian account aggregation framework was. And uh, we eventually became a part of uh, Samadhi as a technology service provider. And we started building on top of it. If I were to say those lending lending journeys, those learnings that we had in auto when you flip it in some... A poetic sense, it becomes an open finance play that you provide the same same learnings by building on top of data and provide it to any other b 2 c facing entity.
2: Okay. So give me a history of this account aggregator framework. Uh, What is it? Like for an outsider who has no idea
0: what is this account aggregator framework? So you... Are a user? You have multiple accounts in multiple financial institutions, could be a banking, current account, or savings account. And uh, if you look at look at it globally, there are be players like Fled, There have been players like Trola, Sohinds, uh, Think, Affinity, across the globe, it EU or US, who've done it. The idea is, can I allow the data that's residing in 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 these silos amongst these financial custodians? Can I allow the user? to have the capability to share it to any entity that is requesting for the in a consent format. So just like how a GPI or a UPI works, right? you pay, you click on GPAY, GPAY asks you, can I make this payment? You make the payment after giving your OTPs. In a similar manner, CAN and FIU, there are two parties to the entire Indian account aggregation framework. Indian account aggregation works a little differently from global account aggregation. <laughs> here, it's governed, it's much more regulated. RBI has put in its regulations along with Ribbit, its ITM. arm. Samadhi is part of it. iSpirit is part of it. So there's a lot of collaboration and market making that's been done with players here. In US, until now, it was market-run, played builds, their own capabilities, and brought best practices themselves here. RBI has done a whole host of the heavy lifting.
2: So it's like the same story as in the US, you had Visa, MasterCard, which were private companies. In India, you had Rupee, which is like a collaborative government private initiative. So the same thing is happening
0: in the account aggregator. Yes, dominant differences. Imagine if Rupee was a framework. Entities could build on Rupee. So instead of one player, RBI said, let me bring out a framework. Let the entities who are going to build those pipes, the infrastructure to move data from A to B. Let those entities be licensed by RBF. And they, those entities are called account aggregators, and there are a subclass of NBFC licenses. What is the Samati and I spirit? So, they are voluntary bodies which put together the working framework, the day to day issues of how the entire account ag- aggregation framework has to evolve, the ecosystem has to evolve, because it's not just the pipes, right? There are two entities major entities outside of just the pipes. By pipes, I mean the account aggregators who build the basic infra to move data from A to B on behalf of the user. Now, you have the financial information providers. So, the entities which push in your financial information, the user's financial information into a centralized repository, which these pipes then move onto the entity that is requesting. So, on the left-hand side, there is there are entities which push in data. On the right-hand side are entities which request the data. And in between, is are the entities which sit on top of the AA framework. Now, as account aggregation amounts issued by RBA, the entities that are going to pull in data necessarily have to push in data. So there is a requirement for you to share data for you to take data. And you have banks like... Okay, which incentivizes
2: participation. If I am an HDFC bank and... I want to know if I should lend to a customer who has an account in Kotak Mahindra Bank, then I must participate in this account aggregator framework to be able to access his data of other banks. And yes, if you want to access it, my account aggregation, which will allow other
0: banks to access data of my customers. Exactly. There was this early thought, earlier thought process that banks were uh, debating, are we sharing, making our customer data such richly available customer data that we fought over years to build market share, making it available so easily. But now the thought process is, if you do not build value added capabilities right now, someone's going to do it later and then you'll be left alone. So there is a mind shift change, which has allowed banks and financial institutions to push and start pushing in data and also start making use of it immediately. Access bank is on the account aggregation framework, post testing their live, indescent HDFC, ICICI Now we are hearing SBA is going to go live. So, so, they've been in the talks for quite some time. So, imagine the level of volume that's going to be made available, just like UPA was for peer to peer payments or peer to market payments, digitalized. Now you're going to have a framework, you're not going to have a sort of a data revolution of sorts in the synthetic ecosystem where everyone's data is going to be kept in a secure consent driven framework, and it's no longer sharing of your net banking passwords no longer sharing of your user id passwords everything is linked to your mobile number just like rph you put on your mobile number it discovers what the accounts are every account you'll have to give an odp and manually confirm the consent the consent states who's asking for your data how long they're asking for it how many times can they pull the data within to them what is the end purpose of it so there is no misuse of data, right? Now you see so many bank statements moving around. People keep fudging it. People keep misusing the documents that are given in trust. Now, nothing of that sort is going to be made available. And that is what account aggregation is all about. Data that was siloed, data that was closed, financial data. Now, imagine the number of networks, the number of relationships that can be made available once you actually scale it. And that is exactly, we are going to open it up and make it available to any regulated entity. So, right now, data can be pulled by entities that are regulated by RBI, SEBI, TFRB, and IRPA. And okay. if that comes to large amount of financial information, in- user entities. So, th- these entities which can
2: pull data are pulling for essentially lending? That is the use case or are there other use cases?
0: See, financial transaction data is in some sort an indicator of your financial behavior. Whether you want to do it for financial management, whether you want to do it for KYC checks, account checks, income checks, or whether you want to vote for understanding your credit worthiness, your liquidity, your lending potential. While lending may be the first use case, obviously, the majority of the pools into the early era of account aggregation will be credit driver. After appointment 10, once the consent end purpose expands, you have more types of consent coming in. It will not be lending first. You'll have a large portion of use cases driven around, say, wealth, driven around financial management outside of lending. Why
2: would a wealth manager need to know your banking data, your banking history?
0: So now how does someone approach wealth? You go, you say, I have excess cash. This is what I want. You speak with someone, you upload some of these, even if they're like robot is online, they look at your, your needs, your requirements, your goals and state something. Now imagine if I were to say, this: these are my accounts, these are my free cash flows, these are my liquidity patterns, these are my expense patterns. Everything is hidden in your banking transaction stream right from your subscriptions to Netflix, right from your incomes, your expenses. Now I go to a robot advisor or wealth platform and say, this is what I am. This is my financial persona. This is my DNA. And depending on the type of financial advisor, could be a wealth advisor, could be a robot advisor. People get a richer idea about you and then suggest the right wealth products. In fact, if you look at the way forward for account aggregation, it's not just banking data, not just your CASA, not just your current and savings account data that's going to come into those into the framework. The roadmap states, your credit card data, your health data. We have 22 different types of asset classes that will tie your product, financial asset classes that will be made available via the framework. But the closest to reality right now is just banking data. At a point in time, all of this will be made available and every FIU, every entity that wants to understand users better, we just make it so seamless to come into this ecosystem and start pulling in data.
2: Okay, so similarly, like an insurer could look at your banking history and then tell you what is the right policy for you, what is the right premium amount, whether you pay monthly premium or quarterly premium based on your cash flows. They could give you much more personalized recommendations so that the decision-making process becomes easy.
0: Yes, exactly. And imagine the number of financial accounts always outstrips the number of people who have been featured. In the financial ecosystem, you have so many jams and accounts and all of which, even with minimal usage, you can understand what that person is all about. Might not be a complete idea, but you have something about that person. And that that allows entities, financial service providers, to take a call. And earlier, that was not available.
1: If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show.
2: Let me understand now the stakeholders in this. Now, one stakeholder is ICAC, yeah, HDFC, which have the data, and the other stakeholder is companies who are looking to offer consumers some sort of products, be it wealth, be it lending as the first use case, or be it insurance. Who else is there in the stakeholders? Who's the data stored that central repository? Is that a RBI run thing?
0: Yeah, see, is, let me rephrase to give you clarity. The data has to be certified. The entities that are pushing in data and the entities that pull out data have to be certified by either the account aggregators or technology service providers to state that they are entities who can validly push in and pull out data, respectively. Now, the stakeholders, broadly, as I told you, apart from the account aggregator, account aggregation uh, aggregators, your SynView, your One Money, these are entities who have been building the pipes, putting together the base infra. Then you have... They are building the entire pipe from a source of data to uh, the person who's asking for data. That whole pipe is being built by them. So the pipe is... sort. Uh, the pipe is at one end, right? So you can onboard financial information providers onto the ecosystem. And after a point nine, they become financial information users. So the other end, it just depends on which is the FIU that is going to come in full data. So the data pipe is available. And that that journey, right, the, those pipes are blind pipes in the sense they can't see what data is going through them. That. that is the beauty of the entire ecos- ecosystem that's being framed by RBA, Salmuthi, and Dye and that allows for complete data privacy. Now, you look at the other ecosystem. There are crucial players in the ecosystem called technology service providers. So what they do is to visualize again with the equation, right? There's the information provider on the left, the pipes in between and information users on the right. Every time there is a, the information user's end user giving consent, consent goes to the entity in which the mobile number is linked, pulls in databases, the consent artifact, and pushes this to the entity that is asking for the consent. Okay, okay,
2: okay. So the data is not stored anywhere. It is getting pushed each time there's a request. Got it.
0: Yes, there is no storage, which means it, is only, it is only reaches the entity which has requested for the data and the consent to which the consent has been provided. There is no misuse that can be done.
2: And how is the access revoked? As you said, this is like a limited time access. How, how does that
0: work? So there are two types. One, one is you prefix. Every consent comes with a timeline. You give an expiry for the consent. Either a year for six months or one year, the consent automatically expires and you need to renew it. The other way is you have all of these consents are managed independent of the client's app in the account aggregators app. Yeah, All of these pipe builders have their own customer-facing apps, which state, where you're given your consent, to which entity, how long, and you can go revoke those consents. So uh, entire data ownership is now back with the end user. And that is the idea for account aggregation. So back to the other point that I was stating, the Mm -hmm. another important stakeholder in the account aggregation ecosystem is our technology service providers. So outside of the pipes, right, there are multiple use cases. So every entity might not be equipped to build use cases on top of those pipes. So that is why players like us come in. We say, okay, the pipes are available. We'll build the use cases on top of it. Make it available plug-and-play to either an FIU or an FIP. To either question data or make use of users' data and understand or engage or whichever is the use case that you want, would be credit, wealth, marketing, whatever the consent allows for. So could be credit or wealth, collections, etc. And that is where the ecosystem is going to grow. Because as per law, the account aggregators should not have a, or should not cross sell services to the client with which they're working. People have different arms. To do all of that, and PSPs as a brand of players in the ecosystem are trying to build value added services on top of those data pipes. Could be, as I told you, doing an account check, could be an income check to basically understand user behavior, or can you build engagement layers? So, if you look at one of the things that SIBO is trying to do, SIBO also provides plug and play PFM as a service, personal financial management modules as a service. There are multiple pieces. Would be like a financial calendar, a cash flow tool, Roundup Saving. All of these are independent engagement modules that can sit on your transaction data and can do the work of engagement, engaging with your end user. And Sigo does it, provides it as a single platform. The idea here is for retail B2C entities, the least common denominator for engaging in a financial ecosystem, financial parlance with their end user is a PFF. It works in a, say, can work in a consumer interact company, can work in a financial marketplace can work in insurance or robot diversity, can work in an NBFC. That engagement capability is missing right now to a large portion of the financial ecosystem. Imagine in the case of a credit bureau or imagine the case of a financial mar- loan marketplace. You go there, click on a report, you leave, ask a request for a loan, you leave. But how do you engage? Data is available. We make sense of the data and we engage on your behalf. You IT label it, provide it as ABAs or SDKs. So there are multiple use cases that are that can be built on top of account aggregated data could be vertical could be someone could be focused on building players for a vertical uh, like health or travel subject to consents, consent artifacts or could be completely horizontal to provide a plug and play tool or mastic to whichever sector so i think there's going to be a lot of evolution that's going to happen in this ecosystem and you're already having differentiated players starting to come and it's a question of when this hits critical mass and not is
2: okay let me recap my understanding now the account aggregator companies these are companies which are running blind pipes and they don't get to see the data and uh, these are this is like an infrastructure layer they're like api providers and the information givers and seekers can choose to directly connect with the account aggregator companies or they can choose to connect via a technology service
0: provider who does some value addition on that data. So for pulling data, the SIUs necessarily need to have a commercial and a technical arrangement with the AA. As per logs, the FIUs cannot, I mean, have to be tied up with the AA for them to pull data. But after pulling data, how do you, what do you do? That is where evaluated value-added services on top of data. And the other way is TSP connectivity for connectivity also exists, like you said, so. Eventually, the engagement will be with the upfront aggregators. The DSPs will say, I'll be a single point of contact for you for everything. We'll work back to back with the pipes. Your engagements will be with the pipes, will be with the upfront aggregators. Your commercials will be with them. But we'll just do a whole most of the heavy lifting for you. Because if you look at it, building pipes is a separate business. You have had billion dollar entities focused on just building pipes be it and be it, and you have a lot of these pipes coming up in Southeast Asia, be it in UAE, you have TAPI, you have LEAN, you have layer in EU, you have Saltage in EU, you have Waiapili in EU, you have played So the value-added services are essentially the larger pie, the money is available for you to build either vertical age or horizontal, that's depending on each one's thesis, the pipes, are a separate business all together. So which is why the idea is the pipes alone cannot solve for it. The TSPs alone cannot solve for it. The pipes have to do their business. They have to build better quality pipes. They have to build the best-in-class quality pipes, which they're doing. they are a great players in the ecosystem. And the TSPs necessarily have to build this value-added flavors on top of it to provide plug-and-play capabilities to any... So both work in tandem. And that's been the precedence all across the globe.
2: And a technology service provider can, like a client signs up a technology service provider, and then the technology service provider has the ability to directly interface with the account aggregator to work on the data which is coming in. So that, And therefore, these technology service providers need to get some sort of regulatory approval because you are able to access the data coming from the account aggregator. Do these TSPs need regulatory
0: approval or anybody can be. Ad- they have to be certified and audited by Samathi. We have certain norms where we have to comply with and you have to be a part of samathi You have to, uh, have to work with uh, these account aggregators and the moment you work with these account aggregators, you'll have to get certified and you'll have to get yourself audited. There are multiple entities that have been certified by Samathi to do this audit. They're both technical and legal. So uh, as per law, the end user has to interface, the FIU has to work with the account aggregators and if it's TSP you'll have to ensure that norm does not get violated so whether you work in the right manner whether your user flows to get data consent whether uh, work in in compliance with what's been mandated by Rebit and yeah. uh, Sa so all of these are the necessary part of how when you can work with an entity when you can work with an FIU and these constantly get updated as well because some of these practices are very unique to India. And some of these we've been working by looking at best practices abroad. And it's a combination of market driven and regulated requirements that help us do the best thing that's possible for all of these entities. Okay, okay. Now, tell me something. Why are there multiple
2: account aggregator companies? So like Rupei, UPI, these are also in a way the pipes and there's only one uh, single operator. Why are there multiple account aggregator operators?
0: See, it's very similar to... uh, no switches or card switches. No, right. essentially. The more the number of players, someone will always be able to add value. And look at the guys who are coming into the ecosystem. You had a very deep distribution working with uh, players for a long time. You, you, Your Yardley's gotten an principle approach. You recently heard phone pay. You recently heard credit cards are playing for an a and is in the is in the news, apparently either applying or applied for an account aggregator license. So there are multiple players in the ecosystem who are looking at building these pipes, either for internal use or for external use. And the competition between these players is exactly going to evolve, like how you play. You're going to have better user-facing capabilities, better uptime, better engagement. And the quality of data and the speed at which all of this is going to happen is just going to be better if you have more competition. The idea we can see, RBA is pretty up the curve and they're pretty nuanced when it comes to all of these ecosystems. They've always ensured that there is the right amount of competition. There's always the right amount of regulation, right amount of freedom for all these players to work with. And for them, customer data is paramount. If there is anything that causes some sort of issue, some sort of problem with customer data, they'll be the first place to pull those players up. And for all of this, it necessitates competition between the pipe builders. And camps also are playing. So there are a lot of good quality players were coming into the ecosystem to build those pipes. I don't think that this is a winner takes it all market, primarily because they're after a point in time, everyone is going to Start looking at providing value-added capabilities. Could be focused on wealth, could be focused on something, could be where uh, I tie up with a different partnership. I, I want to ask something here. So say, for example, like SBI is an investor
2: in cash-free. So let's say SBI decides to go with cash-free as the account aggregator partner. Some other banks say, Yes, yes Bank is going through Fort Bay. Will uh, this data be shared between phone pay and cash-free, will a yes Bank be able to access
0: an SBI account holder's data? Will these account aggregators talk to each other? The account aggregation pipes are independent of each other. They are just blind pipes. In fact, you'll never know what customer data is going through. So for an account aggregator to save, this user's data is also available here now. So every time a new SIO comes through, for example, if SBI is coming, is linking a user's account via account aggregator 1 slash account aggregator 2, they will have to necessarily ask the users to link interoperability is still in works it's not live yet so right now a pipe is blind to what data goes through it and consents are to be done every time confirmed by the user and FIUs every time they come on board also if you are asking from the financial information provider position data that is pushed into the account aggregator framework the same there is no asymmetry in it so the same data that SBA pushes in Bank will be into sorry into account aggregation account aggregator one will be the same data that they push into account aggregator two so there might be SLA issues there might be pricing issues there might be uptime issues but there will never be data asymmetry done that will be in that ecosystem so there will never be an account aggregator that technically has has more data than account aggregator that's not the idea there might be a few days apart for implementation issues might be uptime issues but never. Theoretically on data availability. So you would
2: then actually need to work with all of them. NSBI would need to do a phone pay account aggregators and cash-free account aggregate collaboration,
0: Not necessarily, which is why the better quality pipes An all- NSBI could eventually say, okay, I work with only one account aggregator because all of my, all of this account aggregator has wonderful uptime and they are better quality pipes and it just makes sense for me to work it's because there is. No differentiation between A1 and A2. Logically speaking, and they might just choose the better part. Of it. But what are models that are coming for TSPs like us? What we do is we do a multi-A aggregation play for an SBA. Instead of SBA working with multiple A's independently to see what works, we will say we will build it for you, just plug-in play. So that is the basic connectivity module. So models like these will start evolving. Okay, okay. Which is by then...
2: TSPs or technology service providers are important. They will make this plug and play for a client. As a client, I don't need to, as an information provider or an information seeker, I don't need to think of okay, which pipe should I use to access this customer's data, that the TSP can figure that out. Okay, this customer's data shouldn't be
0: accessed. Yeah, TSPs can just really go between a conduit between you and yeah, after all of the legal documentation it's sorted out. And also, if you look at how typically an ecosystem like this evolves, the acceleration is done always by the players in the middle. So someone is going to build value added use cases, value added services that are extremely useful, extremely unique. And then, consequently, usage on the account aggregation pipes will increase. Someone who's going to provide just the pipes and if they're not going to provide the capabilities on top of those pipes for specific cases, could be lending, could be engagement, could be, the moment you build all of that, the pipes naturally start growing faster than the ideal you would have, which is why the TSP layer is super important. And the TSP layer is where the money also lies in after a point in time, which is why you will see a lot of these is also talking about value-added services either by bundling or partnering or building their own after a point
2: So what is it that a TSP can do which an information seeker cannot do in-house? Why would an information seeker choose to work with a TSP versus doing everything in-house?
0: It's as simple as someone who yeah. wants to make sense of that data but if you look imagine the case of an NBFC so they want to take an account aggregated data they want to break down the data and understand what is available and whether the client is credit worthy whether the client is not credit worthy imagine if that NBFC is not a technical player or imagine even if that NBFC has minimal technical technology capability why would you want to focus on something that is not your core capability your core capability is lending Core capabilities, understanding user behavior. Now, all of those things are being made available by DSP. If you look at the transaction string that hits your bank account, it is, well, I'm just giving you one problem that needs to be solved, which we go solving. Your transaction string is a garbled mess. Yeah, essentially, Swiggy comes as Swiggy, sometimes unbundled, sometimes a lot of transactions, sometimes there are multiple delimiters in different form, a slash, a hyphen. Merchant is upfront in one bank, later in a different bank string. All of this says something about you. Whether it is an investment, whether it is an expense, whether it is a subscription, who makes sense of it? Why should an NBFC focusing on lending? Why should an advisor robot, is a wealth focusing on lending? Why should they even try to build these capabilities? So what you do is a transaction categorization, which is an extremely important part of open uh, banking on top of account aggregation, making sense of that data. And once you have sense of that data, you map behavior and you constantly say this part of your portfolio is doing this. Imagine we do it across different entities, different clients. Yes, there will be no exchange of data between one, one client and another, but those learnings will be available for us to understand this user in this bucket is doing it. So are those learnings, can we, we can transpose those learnings to another client. And what we essentially say is we will do all the heavy lifting, right? From compliance, the data availability, the cleaning up of data, behavior mapping, provide all of this as a single, API single dashboard. Why is this even your business? You take care of lending, we will just provide intelligence and we'll provide all of these capabilities to you, you focus on what you're good at.
2: Got it, got it, right. Because the raw data would be like, say, maybe a customer's uh, bank account information would come in the form of 10,000 rows and each row being one transaction, which then for uh, a company to make sense of, they would need to set up a whole team of data engineers and machine learning and...
0: Yeah, you're getting access to data as the least of some client's worries. What do you make sense of it later on? You clean it up, sanitize it, understand it, break it down. Then on top of it, you provide use case relevant insights. So it's a whole different journey for someone to do it. And in fact, as I told you, the guys closest to the business, the account aggregator pipes, similar place in the in US or EU in the EU. They are essentially focused on only building the pipes when they're so close to building the value added services. So they focus on building this because that becomes a different business altogether. And Different businesses in both these areas are flourished independent of each other. Got it. Got it. Okay. 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 So
2: you are able to provide something which makes it easy for the lender to do a credit
0: decision? It could be for any business. Facing. What SIGO does is we, our, our overall thesis is finance is no longer a separate vertical. It is, it is, an embedded feature. Now, can we do something with users data on top of connectivity, we provide if yes, I use the capability to pull in data via connectivity module, after the data is available, users can do clients uh, clients can do, do things with that data to either engage with their users or understand their users better so which is what we call as an engagement experience layer and an insights layer as I told you, experience is pretty much pfm as a service broken down into independent modules personal financial management if you look at a, a retail facing neobank like a chime or a new bank right? it is basically apart from the core infra, apart from account opening etc it is multiple independent modules put together calendar roundup saving a health score monitor rules all of these are experiences that can be modularized and made available to any other entity that is an FIU. Could be an NBFC, could be a robot advisor. Why should it only be within a retail facing mm-hmm. neobank, et cetera? So what we said was, we'll gamify it, we'll provide us both APS and SDKs, and we'll make it plug and play on top of data. We'll do all of the cleanup, we'll do all of the sanitization, transaction categorization, we'll help Engaging with the users. As I told you, one of the biggest problems right now is how do we engage with the user in a financial environment? And we'll make it available. And there's constant feedback loop that's coming in. That is one part of the equation. Now, can the same data, the same data that's broken down, cleaned up, identifying user behavior, can we provide insights to the client about their users for very specific use cases? As as you rightly said, broad insights, collections and recoveries. So when is their liquidity pattern, right? When do these guys have lesser expenses? When can I target for collections? And uh, more importantly, wealth related, who are users who are net worth climbers, whether they have exposure to insurance or whether they have exposure to mutual funds. All of these sit within your banking accounts. All of this can be massaged and provided as actionable insights. And, and then of checks, one time events, if you want to look, hit up users' backbone, like if your Varry is working, what is, uh, his or her salary is, all of this hits your is is made available. And uh, same is the case with account check, if you want to know this account, it to someone so. Under the intelligence slash insights buckets, we have two use cases. One is event-based checks. The other is insights to monitor a portfolio and user over a period of time, understand what is or her her trends are. So Sego provides this capability, this platform for connectivity, engagement and understanding user behavior via insights as a service, as a game.
2: Okay. Can you give me an example of a hypothetical business that would be using Figo and the experience of the customers of that business?
0: So imagine you are. Um, let's take the case of a small bank. Right now, if you look at their mobile banking applications, it is there is no engagement, right? You hardly can do much, no. Or is there a small NBFC? Both of these entities are assigned you So is their requirement to engage with the users better after they get? They plug into our connectivity module where they can ask their users for consent and pull in data. They can embed our TFM modules or experience there. So on top of the data, users' mm-hmm. independent data in their existing mobile banking app or in their existing UF app, they can provide for gamified interfaces like round-up saving, a health score monitor, their financial plans, a cash flow management tool, an instant saving Fox, a peer comparison score. So where they they reside compared to proxies with similar parameters. All of these are capabilities. Every time there's a transaction that hits the back foot, the experience layer engages with the end user on behalf of the client or the NBFC. So if the problem statement for the client is, I want to first get someone's data and I want to engage with them better, this could be the right solution for them. If the problem statement is, I want to get data and I want to understand Better about them, better about my portfolio of users for credit related insights. Then you do the same thing, state the purpose what, that it is going to be for loan credit, pull the data and on the data is pulled again, we break it down. And for example, you're at uh, digital lending, you've rolled it across 5,000 users. You identify 2,500 of them are in between jobs. After the five hundred half of them are white collar or blue collar basis. to stability of credit set to your bank account. Then of them, we identify if someone has a credit cushion, or sort of cash cushion within their bank, they, they, when there is cash residing their account, which is good for a shorter years. So you can give a top-up loan, and there will not be a problem. And you can also identify which are not good for loan customers. And of the good for loan customers, you can also see if there are potential competitors sitting in your wallet as early as the previous spring that hits the account aggregator full in data. So all of these insights are, end of the day, sit on top of, Financial data. And that is where we provide this capability. So it is very use case specific and use case driven. Okay. 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 For you, these are the two big, biggest use cases
2: that your customers use. So, personal finance management and learning insights.
0: We have had players working with wealth related insights. Some of them focus on collections. So, we brought here three types of insights. One is risk and risk. You have credit worthiness. You have collections and fraud. And you have wealth as a separate capability. And you also have checks income checks and account checks now what are trying to what is
2: uh, what is account check income check i understand which would be like estimating what is this person's income
0: and who is their employment what is their employment which does how long you've been in that uh, company all of that you can get from your background now if you want to talk about account checks does this bank belong to you instead of doing a penny drop you can just pretty much full and identify if this bank is yours how long is it back to us all of that will be available now and the other thing to see goes while we sit on top of account aggregation, the same capability pretty much works on any transaction string. Could be a four-banking string, it could sit on top of a bank's own data. So we made it agnostic while we focus on account aggregation. We've also made the option, provided the option to entities who have their own access to data to plug and play into it. So it need not even be FIU, it can be a bank. It need not be an FI that is working with our connectivity. It could be any connectivity model. It just sits on
2: our oh. Okay, okay. So the, the personal finance management thing, is it a monetizable business for the client or is it just an engagement play?
0: It is actually the next step. See, from embedded experience, The journey to embedded finance is actually pretty close. The moment you understand your user better and engage with them better, you can sell the product. Let's take the case of roundup saving now. So you are in a, say, a consumer company, you're constantly been spending. You want to provide roundup savings after a point in time. Those virtual roundup savings could be provided as a discount or a coupon. Every time this positive financial behavior that the user does or every spend that happens, you can reinforce by providing a coupon. After a point in time, imagine that Roundup Saving that is virtual can, after a point in time, become real. You can push a digital asset or a gold, a digital gold, or a mutual fund, or any security via Roundup Saving. Now, this product or service takes different form across different services, different financial experience services. A roundup Saving might be different versus, say, a financial. Now, this so an example of Roundup Saving could be, for example, say on Swiggy, you place
2: an order for... 375 rupees and Swiggy tells you that the additional 25 rupees, why don't you save it in some instrument? And that instrument, when you invest in that instrument, could be an SIP or whatever, that Swiggy earns
0: some pennies on the... (laughs) Imagine if you're doing it in an ecosystem where you're not constantly spending. Imagine this can be done with an NBFC SAP. So every time there's a spend happening, if an NBFC wants to engage you, the transaction data consent has been given. So you can build those experiences, could be a roundup every time. You don't actually see a financial lender or digital lender's app engage as a user that often. Now imagine this is made available. Every time you spend, you save. now all of the savings are virtual because you provide it, it won't be the PFM right now. After a point of time, we can host a marketplace of providers. with can push up, say, a credit which plus it after a point of time, right? So right now we provide this. A user comes, the experience is there. Then you can either give a coupon, or a discount code or whatever and snatch on their processing fees. After a point in time, they can push a product right. It just, the engagement is the beginning for any financial player to work with the user and be relevant to the user's life cycle, transaction life cycle. After a point in time, once you understand and engage, then you can push a product. Okay. Tell me about the
2: journey so far of building Sego. How did you... Figure out that this is the space you want to build in. Uh, how did you get uh, yourself that
0: regulatory approval? We are not an account aggregator, first of all. What we realized was the pipes, after a point of it, then them, will get promoted. And the value added services is where your engagement, your money, and the gig, uh, and we can build all of those capabilities on top of it. And uh, in fact, the first problem that after Upgrade, we had to unfortunately move on. First problem that we were trying to look at was. What were users, what were borrowers doing for disbursement? If you look at how typical lenders identify what they're doing, either would be via uh, user's SMS data, or if the app is there, or if the app is not there, they try to provide a top of loan, ask them to reaffiliate for which they get backing data and see if they can give a top of loan to get. But after that point, it's a blind spot. You don't know what's happening. Are there any red flags? Is he swiping the money in or out? We said, is there a framework where we can monitor the user? constantly and provide this capability to lenders. That was the starting point that led us, that search led us on the contact communication framework, global players. We initially thought, why not build this for players for an ecosystem outside India, because the pipes were pretty much available. But what we sort of realized was, see when you're building a capability, when you're pretty much making a market here, you always have to build a boat before the flood comes. There's no point in trying. It might not be the right board. It might be wrong. You would not have received as much rainfall, as much water as we expected. But you pretty much had to be prepared. And this allowed us the timeline to do an experiment a lot of it. So we started little early. We did a lot of experimentation on form of transaction data, built our own categorization in my earlier partners with different players. We said, what is the right thing? Should we look at insights first? Should we look at experience first? Then we started looking at insights. Then we started. Hearing our clients during POC saying saying no, we want experiences. This is good. In fact, when we went to onboard our earlier, uh, I mean our POCs, we realized people were more interested in experiences. The first set of audience. Then we said, okay, let's talk about embedding experience. Now there's a lot of interest from lenders for insights. So actually, what what is evolving is there are certain set of clients who. Look at engaging with the users better. Guys who have solved for either acquisition or for monetization, but they don't have written or engagement. But for other players, it's a little different. So use case sort of differs. And then we initially worked with a couple of account aggregators to understand what it was. Then became a member of Samadhi, participated in their workshops to understand. But so it was that the learning curve is pretty has been pretty long, but in fact, we've been Part of the ecosystem where we've seen multiple version changes as well, and uh, all of these changes we've been accommodating the product field. And right now, I'm a part of some of these technology service providers steering committee where we are are in boots to the ecosystem. We constantly keep updating what problems we face because what is pretty clear is that this ecosystem will grow only if all the players in the ecosystem, only if all the stakeholders in the ecosystem collaborate and work. This is not I mean, this is not a winner takes it all market. Because the use cases are multiple. Okay. Did you have money to fund it? Because you must have wiped out your capital when Opta credit got shut down. I think uh, what people realized was Opta in fact, for quite a few few mm. months, we, I did not, the founders did not take salary. We said, we run it, we will run the show, we'll see what happens. But you can't fight against COVID nuts no. And uh, we were pretty clear that we did not want to build a product before we did the work. But, but we had to go quick to the market. But in account aggregation and financial infra, it is typically a slower, ecosystem compared to any other SaaS play or B2B or B2C place, Because there are so many moving parts, complaints, parts, legal parts, which we we'll ought have to take care of. So we started initially working with a free seed funder, so on. And he said, let me just take the capital HMI family office. That was a year back, a little more than a year back. Then when we built out all of the, started building this out, there were inbounds for our seed. In fact, there are a few acquisition offers early on. And uh, some of those investors are part of our cap table as well. So Saison came in, 314 led the round. Uh, and we have pretty fintech-heavy cap table, if you look at it. We have 314, we have Saison, we have a few more micro VCs like Firstech, like Exemius, and uh, Special Invest. And if you look at our industry leaders slash angel investors, we have obviously Kunal from Ked, We have Lalit from Grow. We have Swales from Baraj Bay. We have both the F2P founders, Prabhu and Dutmadu, also invested. We have Aparanya And what we realize is all of these players typically take a bet on all of these coming guys coming together is a good validation, good signaling for us. That does not mean the journey is done, but it's a good starting point.
2: And what has been the monetization journey so far? Have you started monetizing? No, we're
0: working at EOC's currently, but our pricing model is pretty simple. So we work for insights, it's check. For income check or con check, it's just a transaction-based, volume-based check. For insights, it's per active user, but subject to number of transactions. So uh, you can't, if it's a user that you're monitoring for uh, months, you're looking at 100 users, 100 transactions, accumulate a number of transactions, you price it as one, beyond that it becomes uh, an accelerated pricing. Help me understand what could be the revenue potential
2: for Figo. You know, what, like some, like that back of napkin calculations that if we work with one, Large company, this is the number of users, this is what the monetization is. So, three years in, we can be looking at this revenue. And I mean, you know, when you would have been pitching to VCs, they would have also wanted to know what is the revenue potential. I, I want to hear that conversation.
0: Yeah. So, so, we'll first have to take a step back at how the entire ecosystem is like. Uh, Sego Play completely depends on the developer integrating Sego as a capability into their existing system and existing products. And once the hook is done, Every other engagement is only going to be incremental. So you essentially are working with a combination of transaction revenue by transaction event based an account check or an income one time check. So if there's a lender that is trying to look at onboard 100,000 applications a month, you don't need to first of all pull your uh, for 50 rupees or 30 rupees or 40 rupees or look at their bank statement via PDFs. You just do an income check and account checks each first feature parameter. So. It can be a part of onboarding. It can be a part of decisioning, It can be a part of post loan monitoring created scenario. So the if you look at the volumes that after a point time that we're looking at, it could be anywhere between hundreds of clients, would be each user, each client. Uh, In fact, like some of the largest clients that are doing POCs with have millions of end users. And right now, we're going by with the percentage of it at right some time. And every client that we're working with, obviously on day one, they're not going to be rolling it off across. Comfortably, by the end of this year, we're pretty sure we should be having around 5 million end users either monitored or insights provided about in the end by the end of this calendar year.
2: And how much would we be earning per, for these 5 million users,
0: like an average number? Depends on the service, whether it's an engagement, to service, or connectivity, or insights. So insights, as I told you, is pretty non-linear because you are just going to do a transaction. Anyone can full in. Uh, I think, comfortably by the end of three years, we should be around uh, 30 minutes. And who are the competitors in this space? Companies which are doing similar stuff as you? Everyone's taken a position on top of data, whether it is focused only on, say, SME focused credit, GemSci. So there are players who are focused only on fraud related capabilities on top of it. In fact, some of the players who are PSPs themselves could be a loan management engine or loan origination engine. They can embed FIGO as a capability. But broadly speaking, there are a handful of players who are trying to do either on top of data insights focused on credit or some of them building pre built journeys. I am um, yet to see someone building the PFM as a service on top of natural data.
2: Basically, there is so much you can do with the data, so many different ways to cut and dice it that yes. each player can
0: provide completely vertical for an industry or a newer sector. Or... So, I think that's the value added services play that's going to evolve after a point much faster. And that brings us to the end of this amazing conversation.
2: At this point of time, I'd like to make a request. I want to know what you think about the show and how we can improve it. Do you have suggestions? Uh, do you want to discuss your startup ideas? Uh, is there any way in which we can add more value to you as a listener? Uh, I love reading your emails and suggestions. Please write to me at ad at the dot in. That's ad at the T-H-E podium, P-O-D-I-U-M dot in.